With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello and welcome to the 140th episode of the Stratocast and I'm delighted to be joined by Sean Connolly again again to speak about a win Sean um we're getting used to this aren't we I think we're getting spoiled at this stage <laughs> I think we're getting spoiled at this stage so we are but uh what a win what a win fantastic result if uh, if you can't be happy with that this this game in for you yeah, before the game right at Adam Road against Leeds you're thinking build up it was a massive occasion for Harry Maguire um, being Yorkshire born, Sheffield bred and Manchester United captain. He was always going to be in for a bit of a roast in front of the Leeds fans. And the second he touched the ball, you could hear the boos, especially in the first 10 or so minutes. But it was him in the first half from a corner that, that silenced the, the Leeds fans. Um, before we get into the game itself, I was absolutely buzzing for Harry Maguire, a player I've been very critical of in the past year and a half or so. But to see him stand up on that occasion, it could be the turning point for his season, Sean, because he needed a bit of a confidence boost because everyone's on his back at the moment. Yeah, yeah, no, no, he he absolutely needed something. But we touched upon this in the last podcast about how his his previous performance was was quite strong as well. Now people are very very quick to to jump down his throat for something that goes that goes wrong and a misplaced pass, failure to jump into a tackle. Um, but he was very, very good against Brighton, and he continued that against Leeds. And the goal was the uh, the, the 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 cream on top of the froth of the coffee for him. It was um, it was fantastic. Uh, great to finally get a goal from a set piece, and um, 
fantastic for him in that particular environment because it was incredibly hostile for him. And the pictures afterwards, some of the pictures that came through were fantastic. Um, but he took it all in his stride. He, uh, I think he delivered a captain's performance. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah and then rode on a, the occasion that it was, especially for him on a personal level, he definitely delivered a captain's performance. And he did. I, th- I think it's important to note that for someone who is a bit of a scapegoat at the moment, and I say a scapegoat, I, I do put my hands up and say I've been very critical of Maguire. I have still questions about whether he should be a start centre-back at Manchester United. But I'll always put my hands up when I'm, when I'm wrong. Um, and I love to be proven wrong on a player. I love when a player I'm critical of has a good performance and, 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 and kind of shows me up on, on a day or two. And I hope he can do that between now and the end of the season because then that will benefit Manchester United. I don't get, Sean, some of the agendas that may become social media where if someone has an opinion on a player, they almost feel embarrassed if that player plays well. You know, that's not beneficial to Manchester United, so I don't get it. I think what it is, um, I was actually discussing this with somebody today. I think when, when, when an individual starts digging and they keep digging and they keep digging, they get themselves into a position where it's impossible to get out of the situation that they're in. I think they're left with one of two options on social media, really. Either delete their account and start over or just continue on that wave of negativity and notoriety that they've developed their following and their cultivation of their, their stance of opinion on. It's, it's, it's not just Maguire. It's like we spoke about the last day. It's McTominay. It's those type of players that people just wish to laud this scapegoatish type mentality on the fact that we're not delivering trophies. And look, Maguire, as I said in the last podcast, he, he, like he doesn't deserve the real rancid type of filth that's fired at him online and, and then through those social. No, no player does. But he has been very, very underwhelming this year. And he's had several high-profile mistakes which have led to goals conceded, which have led to just bad states of affair that have ruined, uh, I would say, momentum in mid-game. And ultimately, I, while I suppose I didn't share the last year and a half opinion, I've, I've been vocal in that his first two seasons at the club, I feel he was quite strong. I feel that he regularly delivered a good to very good performance. And in, and in more cases than not, had an exceptionally good performance over an exceptionally poor performance. This season has let him down. It's been a, it's been that hangover from the Euros. Um, and he's been exceptionally underwhelming. And I think the cries from several segments about a centre-back partnership of Varane and Lindelof were very much merited because centre-back is such a high-profile position that when you have such a key member of your team, the captain of your team, regularly contributing to so many individual errors you they have to be held accountable for it it's as simple as that but look the last two games he's been he's been he's been very good capped it off with a fantastic goal hopefully that's the first of many from a set piece this season because we can't go back on what we had no a whole well up until this point not scoring from a corner as Maguire put it at the weekend it was embarrassing um and Mm. thankfully he put that to bed but but back to the game itself First half, Manchester United, Manchester United led 2-0 at half-time. Um, completely dominated. Leeds could not contain some of our star players, especially Paul Pogba, who, who danced around the pitch with the ball really in unbelievable fashion. But the start of the second half, Sean, in the space of 
space of over a minute, really, we can see the two goals and completely thrown it away. But we fought on. It wasn't like previous weeks where we trying to lead away and weren't able to, to take it back. We scored two more goals, dominated, really, I think, throughout the game, apart from a minute of madness. So it was a good performance that this weekend. Yeah, it definitely was a good performance. Um, I think one of the largest things that contributed to um, a lot of the frenetic play, particularly in the middle of the park, was the weather because there, there, there was some torrential downpours and uh, the pitch was in some really, really, really tough. It was a it was, it was a bad state of affairs and the players did very well to be even able to, to pass the ball five yards. Um, but that particular 60-second spell, I mean... Look, it was a free goal that United conceded first. It wasn't in any way, shape, or form intended to hit the back of the net. It was an attempt to cross that ultimately just turned out in favour for them. Uh, United a bit shell-shocked. 60 seconds later, 2-all. Really took the wind out of the sails. Ellen Road exploded. But as you said, they responded very, very well. And uh, that is not a trait of this particular team. Sure it's not. Over the last couple of years, uh, when things kind of came up against it, the team often crumbled more so than actually sticking their chest out and responding. And they responded very, very well. Great value for the for the two-goal lead. We could have scored more. Um, we really could have. And we, and we should have scored more, uh, especially toward the end of the game. We had several opportunities where we could have scored. It could have been six. It could have been seven. So, uh, look, it was, it, was a, it was a very enjoyable performance. It was a good game of football. And um, I'm very happy for several individuals, particularly Maguire. Just on the, the pitch, um, I actually want mm. to give the, the staff at Adam Road some credit because the although the conditions were really, really tricky, like if you look back, say in the 90s and, and, and earlier, it, it was that conditions midway through a season or beyond, the pitch would be fucking like a swamp. Um, mm. and, and in fairness, it wasn't. It, it wasn't really mucky. The, it was just bad conditions. The ball was really heavy on the surface, but it arguably made for a more intense encounter, especially in the second half, when Manchester United played arguably some better football, uh, more decisive football. And there was tackles flying in. Scott McTominay was in the wars, but, but came out stronger. Um, one of the, the listeners last week, Dave, Asks, Ara, sorry, asked whether we'd speak more about Scott McTominay, but I think he deserves a bit of a mention because it was a real warrior like performance. I don't think some of his play was necessarily out of this world, but he had a presence, he had a very key role in that win, and he deserves an awful lot of credit for, for what he did against Leeds. Oh, of course he does. Of course he does. Right? I, I, I could go blue in the face talking about that. Fella. <laughs> um, he, he does not get the credit he deserves. And I say it week in, week out. People look at Scott McTominay and think he should be Paul Scholes. You know, people look at Scott McTominay and think he should be any sort of different class of footballer. Scott McTominay is Scott McTominay. And it's, it's not... Scott doesn't have to be the greatest passer in the league. He doesn't have to be the, the I suppose... The, the, the best box to box. What Scott needs to do is Scott needs to be the type of player that wears his heart on his sleeve. Like he gives 110% every single game. He's not afraid to put his body on the line. He's, he's that drive in the center of the park 
where like Kino previously spoke about it, that, you know, if things aren't going your way, you know, some days you might just go in and kick a player, you know, just to make yourself feel better. And, and, and I love that because that's this typical Roy Keane. And McTominay just throws his body around. He was probably lucky to stay in the pitch maybe a couple of times, but we'll, we'll let him away with that because he really, really just, he, he gave it all. He his, put his body on the line. He put in a Warriors performance. And um, I'm glad he started to get some of the recognition that he deserves. Look, very similar to Maguire. There's, there's plenty of people that have just dug too far down that are unwilling to turn around and give any sort of positive notes about it. But that was a, it was a very good performance for what it was, definitely. And do you think that this report leads in a real relegation scrap? Because, of course, this week they play, I believe, Liverpool and Tottenham. And at the moment, they're just basically sailing above that scrap. I think there's only a few points really in it. So it'll be interesting to see. And one of the things that I said going into the game was I wanted to contribute to that. I wanted to contribute to the fact that we could put leads in the shit. And right now, looking at the bottom of the table, there's been a few surprising results in the past few weeks. And even at the weekend, you had um, Brighton losing 3-0 to Burnley. That was a real Mm. shock. And you have Everton down there now. You have Newcastle kind of pulling away from it. Do you think Leeds could be in a bit of bother? Without question, they're in a bit of bother, yeah. Without question there. And the running games that they have coming for them, I'd imagine the likes of Liverpool are licking their lips at building up their goal difference because it's, it's, it's a type of, like their, their style of play, they just don't seem to learn. They go man for man and it doesn't work but for them. But this is one of working. the most highest, high, highly rated coaches in England we're talking about, right? Who, who since he's yeah. come to England has been lapped up as this genius, right? And I, and I, and I respect that he took leads from down below and brought him to the Premier League after years trying to do so and playing a special brand of football, a brave brand of football, I call it. But since they've been in the Premier League, I call them more naive than else. At the start, their football was kind of surprising people. But people quickly copped onto it. But they still don't change their way. They could find themselves nope. in a relegation scrap. And is Marcelo Belsa really going to stick with that style of play at the, at the end of the season if they're fighting for safety? It doesn't look like he's planning on changing anything soon, does it? It's crazy. It's crazy. It's it. I mean, we we have put so many goals past them in the last two years, and I mean, you know, you know, like the logical part of you wants to see them go down and wait another seventeen, eighteen years to be able to come back up and have the FA Cup final where they get beat four two again. But then the other part of you is looking and saying, you kind of want them to stay up so as you can put another five goals past them next year, yeah, you know? Yeah. And 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 that and that's the way it is because. I really am. Um, it, it, it's a funny one because with Bielsa and, and, and their team, they, they, they receive so many plaudits for playing this brand of football that's supposed to be, you know, this attractive, brilliant, fair play to them, patting them on the back. But you're patting them on the back for, for shipping four or five goals every week. And um, it, to I think me, Gary it Neville make any has sense. been the only one consistent on Leeds, to be fair to him. He has well, said he's nothing it. but if he's not consistent, though, isn't he? <laughs> Yeah, but but he, he, he's been saying it even last season that they can't keep doing this. And like a year down the line from, from where they were at to being a relegation scrap is a massive downfall. Oh, yeah, it's a huge downfall. But if you, if you look at their squad and, and look at their squad for, for, for what it is, you've got a couple of really, really good standout players there. Like Rafinha is a fantastic talent. And evidently, when we speak about... 
our own situation where there's certain players maybe having loggerheads with various different members of the backroom team. It's uh, pretty publicized at the moment that Bielsa and Rafinha are not on the best of terms. Now, he's arguably their best player, and it was a, quite a surprise that he was left on the bench for the start of that game against us the last Pleasant day. surprise. It was a pleasant surprise. But when you look at that squad, man for man, the vast majority of that squad is a championship-level team. And I'm not doing that to be ultimately disrespectful. These. I'm just being realistic about it. There's, there's an awful lot of championship-level players in that side. And they're a championship-level team playing championship-level football. And ultimately, that's why they're shipping four and five goals every single week. And if they don't change, they're going to find themselves in a situation where the likes of Newcastle, as he drew upon, are going to be going past them fairly quickly because um, momentum is a fantastic thing in football. And some of those lower-down teams that have been scrapping it out for the last couple of months are starting to gain a bit of traction, a bit of momentum. Leads are going in the opposite direction. And I have a funny feeling as you drew upon with the fixtures they have upcoming, it's only going to start getting worse for them. Fingers crossed, because <laughs> after, after that incident, especially after that incident at the weekend, where Sky Sports praised the fantastic atmosphere that enrolled at the beginning of the game, um, only for them to throw coins at a 19-year-old, Ethan Alanga. Um, a bit disgraceful, mm. really. But him to shut them up then at the end, the point to his crest, to give the kind of downward gesture, to say you're going down, that was really yeah. icing on the cake on Sunday. And I really enjoyed that. But before we um, we get to the bonus feature of the podcast, I want to get your thoughts on our upcoming game, the big one against Atletico Madrid. For the next 20 minutes or so after myself and Sean preview the game, we have a conversation with Alan Feely, um, the editor of Football España, and he gives us a bit of an insight as to what's going on at Atletico Madrid because, as he puts it, it's a bit of a crisis there at the moment. They're the reigning champions of a league, but they will not be winning it this season, and they're kind of banking on their, their running the Champions League to the end, of, end their season on a high. Does that sound familiar? It does. Sean? How are you feeling going into the game? Um, well, I suppose, look, we, we come out the back of, of two wins and um, that has to breed that momentum that I'm speaking about. I mean, Atletico, they're missing a few players. They're going through a difficult period this season themselves. But you cannot write off a team like that. You can't write off a manager like that. It's... Um, it's a bit of a it's a bit of an unknown at the moment because I mean I wouldn't be disregarding Atletico. They're going through a difficult period. They're missing several key players. Ultimately, on paper, you'd put us down as favourites for this. But that is going to be a difficult a difficult game, particularly travelling to that particular stadium. Um I suppose if I'm if I had to, I'd, I'd say I'm more confident than not but I don't think it's going to be any sort of a straightforward game at all. There's going to be lots of twists in it. Um, but to be honest with you, I'm just looking forward to it. This is, what, this is what it's all about, playing these big names in the knockout stages of the Champions League. And uh, I can't wait for it. I really no, am. No really disrespect to Granada, who I enjoy coming up against because there's a bit of a background story there. I, I knew that their, um, one of their media officers was a, was a Manchester United fan from Manchester and he'd worked out there for the last seven or 10 years. So when I seen that draw last year in the Europa League, there was a bit of a background story, which I enjoy, but no disrespect to Granada. What you're saying, I totally agree with because this is Manchester United in the Champions League where we belong. 
against a very, very well-respected Atletico Madrid side against some top players. I know they're, they're yeah. without some top players, but in, in on the blog tomorrow, there'll be a separate article with Alan who's going to speak on this podcast where he, he talks about the players to watch in, ahead of this game. And the one of the players he mentions is Joe Felix. Um, he's a player that was linked with Manchester United in the past, uh, a Portugal international, has spoken previously about coming up against Bruno Fernandes, Cristiano Ronaldo and Diego Dallo at Old Trafford and looking forward to that occasion. But I am really looking forward to this, Sean. This is what football is about when you, when you follow a club like Manchester United. It's about these Champions League nights, coming up against the best teams, seeing how you, how you fare out because it's a cup competition. It's a bit different this year, of course. There's no away goals. It's going to be interesting to see tactically how Diego Simeone sets up because, as Alan mentions to us, it's more of an attacking Atletico Madrid side. It's not really as defensive as we've seen in previous years. Um, Can I get a quick prediction from you? I'm going to say 2-1 United. And I am also going to say we're going to continue our our, our set piece. I think we're going to convert another set piece and it's going to be 2-1. Okay, I'm going to go 2-2 in the first leg. Okay. Um, okay. I, I, I think it's such a tricky game to call when you consider the seasons that these two fascinating sides um, have had. When I say fascinating, I think you look, could look at both of their seasons, you could look at their squads, and on paper, it just doesn't make any sense. Um, quite frankly, Yeah, absolutely. And it's a, it, 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 that's a quote that Ralph Ragnick has enjoyed in recent weeks and he'll probably use it again on Tuesday in his pre-match press conference and maybe again on Wednesday night. But um, but no, I'm really looking forward to it. To the listeners, thanks again for, for listening. Um, I really hope you enjoy our conversation with Alan Feely. Like I said, he's really worth following on social media. He's really good when it comes to Spanish football and we'll be definitely getting him back on the podcast before or after the second leg. Sean, Thank you for joining me in another week. I hope when we come back and speak for the end of the week that it's more positivity and we're speaking about another win. Up the rates. Myself and Sean are delighted to be joined by Adam Feely of Football España, a leading website when it comes to the English language and covering the Liga. So we're going to talk a little bit about Atletico Madrid, our upcoming opponents in the Champions League. Alan, how are you? It's a pleasure to, to be speaking to you this evening. Very good, Dale. Glad to be here with yourself and Sean. Um, I'm glad to talk about a very interesting game between two teams that are in pretty poor form. So it's kind of a different, difficult one to call, you know. But uh, as always, I'm sure that once the Champions League music gets going, the form goes out the window and the game begins. And it's going to be interesting because these are still two high quality teams with, you know, good coaches and some top players. Like, so I'm very much looking forward to it. You mentioned the, cha- the team, the Champions League music. It's something that in recent years, the Celtico Madrid side has been pretty used to. Um, winning the Liga last season, we, we feel like we're up against it. But if you speak to anyone, including yourself, if they cover Spanish football, Atletico are going through a bit of a muddy spell at the moment. Tell us how bad is it? Well, it's more than a muddy spell. I'd say it's a crisis. I mean, serious issues at Atletico, basically. Uh, Diego Simeone celebrated 10 years there this season. And it's very rare in modern football for a coach to be at a club for 10 years. And there's a good reason for that, too. It's very, very difficult to build multiple uh, title-winning teams. I guess Sir Alex Ferguson is the best um, example of somebody who could. And I'm not even sure is it possible to do it anymore. Um, I mean, obviously, Simeone did manage it. He did it twice. He built two separate teams, one in 20, 
13, 14 that won La Liga and won in 2019, sorry, 2020-21. And they're both two very different teams as well, to be fair. I mean, the first team was, you know, the Atletico, that's the stereotype, and a very hardworking, not averse to the dark arts, very defensive, full of South Americans, incredibly competitive. Um, a team who sets out to not lose first and then win afterwards. That was their kind of modus operandi, and that's the image that a lot of the British media specifically have of Atletico Madrid as a club now, and this team as well. But the team that won the title last season was very different to that. Um, it was much more based around you know attacking talent. You had Marcus Llorente breaking from midfield. You had Kieran Trippier bombing on the right side. You had you know Luis Suarez scoring left, right, and centre. Joao Felix was there as well. And Hal Correa was there as well. It was much more built to around an attack, if that makes sense. But mm. doing that, they didn't use some of the defensive principles. And this season, they've kind of fallen between two stools a bit because they aren't the same defensive team of old, but neither are they the swashbuckling attacking team of last season either. And that's not helped by the fact that, you know, Real Madrid are stronger this season than they were last season. Um, and Sevilla are stronger this season than when they were last season. And so are Real Betis, um, remarkably enough. Um, and even Barcelona, like Spain Atletico two weeks ago, 4-2. So, you know, in the race for the top four, they have a serious issue on their hands to even make it to the top four of the season. Um, I mean, it's really going to be up against it because at the moment, there are three points. Well, they're level on points with Barcelona, who are fourth. Um, but Barcelona are better head-to-head than them. And you would say in current form, Barca are a better bet to finish top four than there because Betis are showing no signs of stopping. Uh, Sevilla are quite a bit ahead of them and Madrid are up way above everybody else and then even behind Barca you've Villarreal who are in good form you've Real Sociedad who are in decent form although they took a bad result at the weekend they lost 4 in at Athletic Club so basically it's not good for Atletico because nobody really believes they can go far in the Champions League uh, they're in a fight to finish in the top four and there's question marks over whether you know him in with the Simeone and Atletico should call it a day whether it's time for them to move on and begin new chapters. So it's a real crisis, to be honest. It's not a, it's not a muddy patch. It's, it's a genuine full-blown crisis. And just leading on, well, actually, I just may say hello to you first, Anna. Uh, thanks a lot for joining us. Um, leading on from what you're saying there, um, I suppose there's two things I want to touch upon. One, there's a crisis, and you used the word crisis several times. So I'd like to maybe, in, in your words, elaborate as to what, what has caused this crisis. What, what, what has happened here? Well, Koke was speaking recently, the captain, and he was in the 2013 team as well. He's one of the few players who were. And what he was saying, 2013, 2014, sorry. And what he was saying, the basically, is that it's our own fault because we've raised expectations so much. Like when Simeone took charge in 2010, I think it much more on a par with maybe a Valencia or a Sevilla in terms yeah. of the stature of the club. And since he's come in, I mean, there was still a big, there's still the third, third biggest club in Spain. I mean, I know all about that. I mean, even in Andalusia, there's a lot of Atletico fans and they're a huge club. But what Simeone has done is brought consistency to them um, because they won the Europa League in 2020 with uh, Kike Sanchez Flores. So they weren't averse to success. But, you know, winning the league, creating a big three in Spain, that was a big, big step and it was a big, big thing for Simeone to do. And by doing so, and by bringing in all these expensive players, like spending a bomb on Joao Felix, uh, you know, bringing in somebody with the pedigree of Luis Suarez, you know, building a new stadium, the image of the club changed quite considerably. And it's only natural, I mean, we have the same thing with Spurs when they got rid of Pochettino, that, you know, sometimes the man who brings them along um, isn't, doesn't escape criticism because expectations change season by season. And Atletico's growth has been so, you know, gradual and steady 
and you know seemingly irreversible as a football club and a football team it was always going to be a case that the expectations were much higher and that's why there's a crisis because I think everybody at Helico loves and respects Diego Simeone and he would never be sacked um, but he did meet with the president recently the president met with the squad recently um, like there is a genuine recognition this is a crisis and you know I think for the first time we're seeing Simeone hit out some of his players and be visually frustrated by many things and not react in the way he used to react. And it just doesn't seem to be a happy camp at all. So it's a big crisis basically. And it's kind of of their own making because as Koke said, they've raised the bar so high. It's very hard to fulfill. Well, yeah. That. I think yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, it sounds like one of those, it sounds like one of those standards of very much being victims of their own success. That's what it is. There's been such a, a cultivation of 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 his ethos and it's such a successful ethos which has made them such an admirable football club throughout Europe over the past decade um a cultivation of several different things that you said that he's almost replicating in the stance of our great manager Mr Alex Ferguson and being able to stay for such longevity and to be able to redevelop and cultivate his ethos across so many different footballers that he's now ultimately a victim of his own success Second thing I wanted to touch on really quickly, because I read about it quite a lot. Obviously, I, I try to keep a, a very keen eye on continental football. I always do. But you see so much and you read so much in social media now about how the Spanish league is declining. And when I read this, I, 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 I can't help but feel that it's just nonsensical because you've touched upon it yourself. You always have Real Madrid who have improved on last season. Barca who have got into the fourth place. Atletico, who even though they're going through a slump, are still Atletico Madrid. But you now have the likes of Real Betis coming forward. And there's almost an emergence of, in, of, a, of a younger group of footballers in Spain. Yeah, I think, you know, obviously the top two, Madrid and Barca, have declined because, you know, at the beginning of the, set, the decade, they were on a different level to everybody else completely. They're the best footballers in the world. If you look at the Ballon d'Or winners in the last decade, almost all of them are from Barca or Real Madrid, you know, even though obviously Messi won it last season being from PSG technically. Um, so that was the standard that I was there. It was, you know, the biggest names in football were there and um, the best coaches were there. Um, you know, Jose Mourinho and Pep Guardiola were battling it out. Whereas now the momentum has changed and the best coaches are in England and the best players in England too, to be honest with you, are in France, you know. So there's that elite level has dropped off a bit and Barca and Madrid aren't doing it and they can't compete with the likes of PSG or Manchester City or Chelsea or Liverpool in the way they used to be able to and Bayern Munich as well. So that's definitely dropped off the elite level. Um, but you're right, I think there is the middle pack of clubs that have improved, like the likes of Real Betis, the likes of Sevilla, uh, Real Sociedad, Villarreal. These are very good clubs who are intelligently ran and built in a sustainable way. And they're producing very, very good footballers. And there is a huge number of Spanish footballers coming through that are very high quality. Now, the problem is a lot of English clubs are coming in and taking them away once they begin to make a name for themselves, as we've mm. seen in various instances in the past, in the recent past. Um, but I think, yeah, the league has declined in the top level, but the middle is still quite strong. But the reality is it's streets behind the Premier League in terms of commercial strength, in terms of tendencies, in terms of the way the league is packaged and sold all over the world. And it doesn't seem to be something that's going to, you know, abate anytime soon. But that's not a Spanish problem. That's the same in Italy. That's the same in France. That's the same in Germany. It's just that Spain were the best league in the world until quite recently. And now that they're not, it's more pronounced. But I mean, I read Joe Cole this morning saying that uh, France is a million times better than Spain. It's 
clearly better league, which I think is a bit over the top as well. Like I think that it's Spain's decline isn't that bad, but I think you're you got you're spot on in terms of the middle clubs. It's still quite strong, but the top clubs have dropped off a bit, you know, and that's why there's maybe a bit of a, an emotional reaction, you could say, from both mm. parties. Adam, just before we touch back on the game itself on Wednesday night between Atletico and Manchester United, you touched on it being there being a crisis, and I just want to pick away at that again for a second because at Manchester United things are not the best. Um, there's lots of reports of unhappiness in the dressing room with constant speculation, and players literally who will point the finger in every direction but at themselves. Um, I just wanted to know with the results so bad at Atletico this year, and as someone who covers the media in Spain and what they're reporting there, what, what, what's going on at Atletico that way? If results are, are they blaming the manager? Is there toxic people in the dressing room leaking stuff, or is that just happening at Manchester United? Well, as far as I know, there's been no complaints by the players that the training finishes after dark. That's one thing I've not heard from Atletico. <laughs> um, but no, I think there's a few things there. I think that... Um, First of all, Atletico doesn't have the media interest that United does. Like okay. every single twist on United is covered in de- detail. Whereas in Spain, I mean, you have the four main dailies, you have Marca, Diario Ras, Diario Sport, and Mundo Deportivo. And they are focused, you know, almost exclusively on Real Madrid and Barcelona. And that's 90% of their content. And you have to realize that there is a bit of a crisis going on at both of those clubs at the moment as well. I mean, obviously in different ways, in different fashions. Um, at, you know, the, the PSG game, for instance, has caused a lot of introspection around this part. Um, they're desperate for Kylian Mbappe to come uh, and they're kind of really needing to come, to be honest with you. Uh, Barcelona obviously had the Koeman incident <laughs> and Lionel Messi leaving and they've been underperforming. So there has been a bit of, you know, tumultuous waters, you could say, there as well. So that's been the dominance of most of the coverage you know, of Spanish football in Spain. And that's the way it is here. Um, but regarding specific things coming out, not to the same extent. There is murmurs that the players are, you know, a bit unhappy with the um, the coach in some ways, but they're not briefing against the media or anything like that. There was one incident when Luis Suarez was taken off. Um, I think when they were drawing a game against a lower league, lower lower in the table team, and he was seen mouthing, you know, always the same, always the same. This is, you know, I can't curse, can I? <laughs> You can, oh yeah, you can, yeah, yeah. yeah always, always the same shit, the son of a bitch, always the same shit. Okay. And like, that was kind of broken as, you know, key to the moment, whatever, and Luis Suarez is a hyper-competitor, and so was Diego Simeone, and he cultivates that atmosphere in the dressing room, but it didn't look good. And then I would say the most high-profile thing is the Joao Felix thing, because um, there was an incident early in the season where Felix scored a goal, and then was kind of, you know, saying, Cali la boca, like, shut your mouth, shut your mouth. And he said that he was talking to Renan Lodi because Renan Lodi, who is a Brazilian teammate of his, they speak Portuguese together and they're very good friends. There's a kind of a Portuguese clique there. He was saying that it was a joke because Lodi was saying, we're not scoring any goals. So he was saying it to him. But everyone thinks he's saying it to Simeone. And then also recent thing where Simeone, Felix had interviewed with Sid Lowe actually at the Guardian. No, of Dermot Corrigan of the Athletics, sorry. And he basically said, we all know what the problem is and we're just trying to fix it. And then Simeone was saying, well, if he knows what the problem is, he can come and tell me. Like, there's quite clearly okay. personal animosity between the two of them, specifically because Joao is a very high-profile, big character, and he's kind of maybe the one who's not being played in the way that he would like to be played by Simeone. Um, and then there was one more thing. I'm sure I think what it was. It just came to my head there. Oh, and then there was also this thing of clicks in the dressing room, which is kind of a typical crisis club. We've, we, we've got a bit of that, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. So what I'm saying is basically since... 
they signed in the summer Rodrigo de Paul from Udinese and Antoine Griezmann from Barcelona. Mm-hmm. And both superstars, really, big, huge characters. And apparently, what they're saying in the media is that uh, de Paul has created kind of a South American clique with the Uruguayans and the Argentinians kind of gathering together. And then similarly, um, Griezmann has created a clique because he's quite good friends with guys who were there before, like Koke and, and uh, you know, Stefan Savic and that kind of thing. So they've got a bit of a thing going on. And then there's the Portuguese speakers, the Brazilians and the Portuguese lads, and the and now you've the Mozambican lad, uh, Renaldo Mandava as well. So that kind of stuff, really. But, you know, who knows what the grave... Sounds the grave like a brilliant be. Netflix um, series. <laughs> 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 but 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 the, but the game itself, um, Sean. Before you put another question, tell us what what are, what are people expecting in Spain? Are they expecting Atletico Madrid to to put their struggles behind them, or are they worried about Manchester United? No, I think they're worried. You know, I think that its expectations are quite low in Spain around Atletico going to this European Cup because, like, this is a team that lost one nil to Levante at the one minute. Last game they played the one the Metropolitano was a one lost to Levante, who were the worst team in Spain by a country mile, the mm. rock bottom. And uh, they they beat us soon at three at the weekend, um, which is a good strong result away at El Cedar. Uh, but then similarly last weekend they beat Hitafe four three in this crazy back and forth game. And Atletico are typically a team who have the Indian sign over Hitafe at the one. I think it was a stat where Hitafi didn't score there or something for like almost like five or six years. It was a crazy stat like that, but they scored three last Saturday night there, or two Saturday nights ago, sorry. So it's just kind of a very inconsistent, you know, unpredictable team. And it's very, very difficult to see how they're going to do, especially given they're playing against a team who are unpredictable themselves, you know? Mm. Uh, Like, I don't think people know how strong United are. The one thing I will say is that the presence of Cristiano Ronaldo is uh, definitely negative for Atletico because he, he's obviously, you know, he's a guy who has the Indian sign over uh, over them or, over the course of his Real Madrid career specifically. So and with Ju- Juventus as well. So there's a bit of a fear there, but uh, but yeah, I, I would say it's you know, uh, trepidation is the word from Atletico at the moment. They're nervous about this game. They aren't full of confidence. Um, it could go either way. I, I I could see Atletico grinding out a win, and I could also see them taking a spanking. You know, that's just the way they are at the moment. And okay. and and how do how do you feel going into this game? From from the offset, how is he going to approach it? Is he going to be approaching it, do you think, with caution because he's unsure of how Raniak is going to set up and in, in, in trying to deliver? Is he going to go for it? Is he going to be apprehensive? How do you feel he's going to, to, to line up? Well, it's difficult to guess. I mean, I, the fact that there's no more away goals kind of changes the way teams approach these games, I think. Um, but like, there has been reports that he's been training with three at the back this week in training for the game. And he's been playing mainly 4-4-2 this season. He played... He actually switched to 3-5-2 last season to get the best out of Kieran Trippier um, because he really liked Kieran Trippier's offensive talents. And with Yannick Carrasco on the other flank, it was quite a you know prodigious partnership, you could say. Um, and it was key to their success because of free space for the midfield runners and also for the strikers. Um, but they've been playing mainly 4-4-2 this season, but rumour has it they'll switch to a three. Um, but it won't be Trippier, obviously, because he's gone to Newcastle. So it'll probably be... Uh, Simi Versiaco on the right and Renan Lodi on the left I think Yano Black and goal um, Felipe has come back centre-back and he's not in good form this season Stefan Favic will be beside him 
And then beside him would be Reynaldo Mandava, who they just signed from Lille uh, this January transfer window. He's a good mm-hmm. player. And then the midfield three will probably be, you know, Jeffrey Condogbia, Marcus Llorente, Ty, uh, not Thomas Lamar. And who's your player again? Jeffrey Condogbia, Marcus Llorente, and Hector Herrera, who's just come back in. And then I would reckon that it would be Angel Carrera and Joao Felix starting up front. But they're missing players because Suarez isn't fully fit. He can't start these games anymore. He's not able to do enough running. He's having the worst season of his career, even if he can still score league for goals. Yeah, Koke is a doubt. Um, Rodrigo de Paul is uh, a doubt. Um, Gana Carrasco is suspended, Carrasco isn't he? Suspended. Thomas Lamar is a doubt. So, you know, they're missing players too, important players. Um, so it's going to be difficult for them, really, you know. From watching Atletico a few times, Lamar is a name you mentioned as a doubt. Um, of all the talk that I see, he would I be right in saying he's one of the more underrated players? He's definitely underrated, yeah, because he came for big money and he was kind of, you know, when a player comes for big money, especially to a club like Atletico Madrid, you need to perform, you know, mm. because you're set to a different standard. You're not a, a bargain buy. And he didn't really hit that heights initially, didn't replicate the form there in the move. Um, but, you know, last season he, sh- he shifted to a more central position and he's very, very effective, to be fair. And he's become a very, very big part of the team. He is underrated, though. He's not the kind of player who steals mm-hmm. the limelight. He's not a celebrity profile like somebody like Marcus Llorente. Um, but he's a very, very talented player. And he's a miss, definitely. Um, but I think Rodrigo de Paul is a huge miss, too. I really like him. I think he's a fantastic player. Um, just, you know, the typical central midfielder that you want. He's Argentinian. He's tough. He's tall. He's strong. He's also capable in the ball. He's a very, very talented guy, and he's a very, very important part of this team. So for him to be missing is a big loss. And then, of course, Koke is the captain. He's the most experienced player at the club. He's the leader, and he's a fine central midfielder as well. So him, him to be missing is a, a big blow as well, you know. So they're missing players, and it's tough. It's tough. So all of that being said, I'll put you in the awkward position. What's the score going to be? What's your prediction? <laughs> well, it's almost impossible to predict. Like, I mean... I think it would be a very close tie. And I think it will be decided in the second leg. I think it's going to be level going to Old Trafford. Um, I think it will be decided at Old Trafford in extra time. And okay. I would say... I'm going to say Atletico will go through because I had a thought the other day. I was thinking to uh, myself, can you imagine if Atletico didn't get top four and then won the Champions League? Like, it would be amazing, like. Like I was just thinking about that the other day, so I'm gonna stick with that. I'm gonna I'm gonna say that, but uh, it's highly unlikely to be honest. And like I'm not, I don't like predictions because it's impossible to predict, especially teams as Jekyll and Hyde as these two. Like I don't remember yeah. a time where there's been two teams in such chaos and disillusion coming into a big Champions League game. You know, so it's crazy. It's, it's gonna make for um, interesting viewing. Yeah, that's for sure. That's for sure. Alan, thanks so much for joining us on the Stratycast. I really enjoy it. You can read your stuff at Football España. How can people follow you on social media? I'm on Twitter at Azulfili. And then also, of course, we're on Twitter Football España at Football España as well. So that's the best place to get us. Excellent. We look forward to speaking to you after the two legs. Thanks so much for joining us. See you, Alan. No worries. Thanks for having me on. Sports Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. 
Chumba. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.